And now our scripture reading for today. From Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Eli. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. My name is Austin, if we haven't had a chance to meet. I look forward to meeting you before you get away today. Uh, We did a lot of singing about death this morning. Where's Kevin? What gives? (laughs) Um, This is, as Matt mentioned, the first week of Lent and our uh, run-up to Easter. And, um, yeah, just... Reflecting upon those things, we are in our series on our our purpose statement as a church, so uh, look forward to exploring this morning's uh, topic, uh, not just as as an isolated topic, but as part of the season that we are in as a a community, Uh, the Lenten season, a time of reflection, of fasting, of confession, of remembering that we are deaf, had the opportunity to be a part of our Ash Wednesday service this week. And um, our four-year-old uh, was here with me. He was kind of bouncing around and wild, spent most of that service uh, outside those doors. Uh, some of you parents have been in similar situations. Uh, but hearing the, the words that were prayed during that service kind of muffled through the doors um, had, had a different kind of impact. It, it hit me differently. Um, but t- to hear some of you praying words of confession and, and reciting scripture together was very meaningful. Uh, I did use uh, the imposition of ashes on our son Conrad's hand as kind of a bribe for him to behave, and he did make it in at the end of the service, uh, kind of ironically bouncing down the aisle to receive his ashes and uh, hear the words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Uh, but that is the season that we are in, uh, all of us together, not just uh, the, the older folks among us, not just middle-aged, but, but also uh, our, our children. And what does that mean? I better look at my notes here before uh, I, I get carried away. So our purpose, purpose statement says that we participate in God's restorative work. And we use this word participate. We affirm that we are active and have a role to play. But when we affirm that the restorative work in which we participate is God's, we acknowledge that God is ultimately responsible for the restoration and not us. We participate by doing a series of things uh, that we mention as part of our purpose statement, encountering the sacred, 
caring about each other's journey, which we've heard a little bit about uh, in a few weeks uh, of Matt's teaching, engaging our surrounding culture, which we covered last week, uh, and discovering wholeness, which is the topic for this morning, discovering wholeness. Uh, the dictionary definition of wholeness has the, it has the, the state of being unbroken or undamaged. Unbroken or undamaged. So when we say discovering wholeness, the implication is that we are broken and damaged and in need of being made whole. In addition to being incapable of bringing about restoration on our own, we're often the ones responsible for creating the very brokenness and damage that needs to be restored to wholeness. But in spite of that fact, we desire to be a people who, with God's help, can name our own brokenness and see and attend to the brokenness of others. Discovering wholeness involves interior examination and caring attentiveness to those around us. Sometimes we're acutely aware of our own sin and brokenness. Other times we can't see it without the help of others. Uh, there is a, a meme that lives kind of in my head. I think about this almost every day. Uh, this is a silly way to begin a message. I'm sorry if, if this is your first time with us. I, I typically like to, to talk about iconography and works of fine art, uh, but I figured this was uh, a fitting one for today. Uh, I don't know how many um, husbands in the room maybe can relate to this. I, I often <laughs> cannot see... Well, you get it. I don't need to explain. It takes all the fun out of it. If you're listening to this on audio, consider yourself lucky. This is a silly, silly picture. But we often can't see our own brokenness and sin without the help of others. Can you relate? So here's how we talk about discovering wholeness. Believing that Jesus is the way, we endeavor to learn the ways of Jesus so that we may live the real life appointed to us as we interact with our families and neighbors. Because Jesus calls for whole person devotion, heart, mind, soul, and strength, we commit ourselves to fully engage our emotions, our intellect, our will, and our physical resources as we seek to follow Christ. Now, as we kick off this conversation, I think it's important to mention and to admit that sometimes we struggle to integrate all of these different strands into what our expanded purpose statement calls whole person devotion. While we as a local church strive for wholeness in each of these areas, we fall short both individually and collectively. And the broader church also falls short of this kind of integration. And perhaps some of you have had church experiences in which uh, part of your humanity may have felt ignored or downplayed or even denigrated. Uh, perhaps you felt a yearning for an expression of Christian formation that is deeper, richer, broader than what you've had opportunity to experience. In his 2021 book, uh, the, uh, it's called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Peter Scazzaro, many of you may have, have read that book, Peter Scazzaro identifies four failures that undermine this kind of deep, whole-person devotion that we're talking about this morning. Perhaps you can identify with one or more of these he gives four. We tolerate emotional immaturity. We emphasize doing for God over being with God. This one's kind of surprising to me that it ends up in this list, but I'm grateful that it does. 
<clears throat> we ignore the treasures of church history, and we define success wrongly. I think this list is helpful, at least as a starting point, for identifying the underlying causes of why whole might not be the first word that we reach for to describe our experience of the Christian life. Since discovering wholeness is part of our stated purpose here at Solid Rock, I, I thought it would be helpful to get a sense from some in the congregation uh, about how they have discovered wholeness, specifically here at Solid Rock. So here are some of the answers that I received uh, to the question, how have you discovered wholeness at Solid Rock? Okay, so here we go. Uh, one answer, I'm blessed in my opportunities to serve as part of this community. Humbled and blessed again when receiving the service of others. Prepared to bestow spiritual lessons in kids' ministry, I come to find myself the student and them the best teachers of spiritual lessons. How have you discovered wholeness at Solid Rock? I've begun to understand the rhythms and seasons of my life alongside and as part of the rhythms God put in place in creation. The grace that this has provided me has helped me keep in check my tendency to be productive, to win, and move up and to the right. This is not my answer, but it, I guess it could be. Through this, I'm building a faith that certainly includes disciplines of doing, but also of being with God. I didn't share that list of four things with these people, but you're hearing maybe some resonances with their answers. In this community, I've discovered people to share life together. I've experienced Solid Rock as a healthy place, that teaches me to be holy, whole, week to week, season to season, era to era of my aging life. I'll let you guess who submitted that one. I don't know. Uh, when we envisioned this little community at Solid Rock and created its mission statement, this is not me or Matt, by the way. Uh, we did not create this mission statement. It was already in place thanks to the, the wisdom of uh, several of you in this room. When we created its mission statement, our desire was to de develop a place that would embrace the whole person, not just the easy and likable parts, but the questioning parts, the traumatized parts, the rough parts. How have you experienced wholeness at Solid Rock? Discovering wholeness is about my personal journey towards being who Christ called me to be, to center on him and to listen to his voice but it's also about our collective journey of being the church God has called us to be, to care and to, to love and care for each other. Uh, have you discovered wholeness at Solid Rock? I started attending Solid Rock amidst a season of incredible pain, loss, and grief in my life. I've experienced Solid Rock as a place of safety and healing. Perhaps you can resonate with uh, some of these responses. I think it's worth reflecting on this question. How have you discovered wholeness? Uh, whether it's during your time here at Solid Rock or uh, throughout your, your walk with Jesus. How have you discovered wholeness? I mentioned a moment ago, but what sticks out to me in Scazzaro's list of four failures of deep discipleship is number three. <laughs> we ignore the treasures of church history. So how would I answer this question? I know you're all waiting on the edge of your seat to hear my answer to that question. How have you discovered wholeness at Solid Rock? When I first started attending, uh, I was experiencing this odd mix of being really energized and tired at the same time. I had just finished my undergraduate at Evangel University, and I felt like worlds were kind of opening to me. Uh, my imagination was being awakened in certain ways, 
And when I looked out at the potential of uh, attending church, uh, it made me tired. <laughs> so it was this odd, this odd mix. And maybe you've been in that place uh, where things have changed for you personally uh, in your life, and and you you looked out at church and didn't really see uh, a whole person answer to address some of the things that you're you're going through. That was that was my experience. At Solid Rock, I found a church that, to borrow Scazzaro's phrase, didn't ignore the treasures of church history. So again, maybe you can relate to some of these. In the church calendar, I discovered a way to attune my rhythms to the story of scripture as a whole and the gospels in particular. In the lectionary, the series of texts that we read week after week, I discovered structure and incredible freedom from the pressure to innovate that causes burnout among so many pastors. In weekly communion, I discovered Jesus where he promised we could find him every time we eat and drink together. Our monthly common meal is another expression of our emphasis on table fellowship. In the prayer liturgies that we pray together, I discovered words that were wiser than mine to pray. And in this community, I discovered the gift of not feeling alone in my desire for these things. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, Uncovering the treasures of church history also leads us to unearth some colossal failures. Not only in church history, but, but here at Solid Rock, we are far from a, a perfect community. And I hope you don't hear in all of these answers that are so eloquent and beautiful that we have it all figured out, because uh, unfortunately we do not. But from the earliest days, the church, uh, globally and perhaps even here locally, overlooks, neglects, excludes argues, not exactly words that we would associate with wholeness. Uh, consider Acts chapter 6. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Or Paul's letter to the Corinthians chapter 11 Paul writes to the church there and says, Now in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, when, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have been factions among you. For only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat... Each of you proceeds to eat your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. And these are just a couple of brief examples. We could certainly point to more, but it's worth noting that both of these examples center around table fellowship and eating. We can't live without food. It's the place we find our nourishment and strength, and in that way, the table is a great equalizer. Theologian Norman Wurzba, who has written extensively about the intersections between Christian faith and ecological concern, says, eating in its most fundamental modality is fellowship. To do food right is to welcome the kingdom of God, where all relationships are healthy and nourishing. So at the table, we're nourished not only physically, but also spiritually. And when we eat together, we're tending to our relational and emotional health, not just our physical health. 
the brief description of the communal life among the early church in the book of Acts, chapter 2, involves two mentions of breaking bread in the space of six short verses describing their life together. It's perhaps no surprise that when we fall short of the wholeness God intends for us as a community, we can trace our shortcomings back to the table, how we approach it, what and with whom we're eating, whom we're overlooking or excluding. So if it's not clear based on what I've said thus far, I want to suggest that there's a connection between the parts of our inner lives that we overlook, heart, soul, mind, will, emotions, and what we overlook with our relationship with God, others, and creation. These are all connected. As we seek to discover wholeness, there's interior examination and also attentiveness to the relationships between ourselves and God, ourselves and others, and ourselves and the created order. In 1 Corinthians 11, a little further down from where we just read, when he gives instruction about the Lord's Supper, Paul warns his Corinthian audience that they should not eat the bread or drink the cup in an unworthy manner, but instead they are to examine themselves and discern the body. When he says discerning the body, he's talking about discerning how to act as the body of Christ in the world. For the Christian communities, we just mentioned, wholeness is this kind of multidimensional reality. Inward, outward, involves relationship to others and to creation. And given, given the complexity of all of these relationships, we should prepare for this to take time. This is not something that happens in an instant. We discover wholeness over time. We could say it this way, uh, while conversion happens in an instant, wholeness is discovered over time. Uh, one instructive example of this comes from the life of the Apostle Peter. Uh, his message to the gathered crowd in Acts chapter 2, after the Spirit descends, he quotes the prophet Joel saying that in the last days, God will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. But it's not for another several years, more than a decade by many estimates, that Peter experiences what he prophesies on the day of Pentecost. Peter testifies to the boundary-crossing power of the events of the day of Pentecost, but before he experiences this for himself, when he visits the home of a Gentile in Acts chapter 10, he needs a conversion of his imagination. This takes time. It doesn't happen in an instant, even after he preaches about it. Yikes. That happens, that conversion of the imagination happens in this astounding account of Peter's summons to Cornelius' home in Acts chapter 10. Near the conclusion of that account, Peter says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. All those years later. But in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. In Acts 2, the spirit falls in an instant but the reality it ushers in is marked by the Spirit's slow, patient work, helping Peter discover that his wholeness is bound up with the wholeness of a certain Italian centurion named Cornelius. Pentecostal scholar Frank Macchia comments on this account and, and says Peter needed Cornelius as much as Cornelius needed him. God converts Peter to his cause among the Gentiles and to how radical that had to be for the lines that Peter instinctively wanted to draw. I like to say, he says, 
that Peter was converted along with Cornelius. They were both converted to Christ and to each other. Their wholeness was bound up. They couldn't see all that God had for them without one another. I think the same is true for us. Or our scripture reading this morning, uh, you may have noticed the repetition of that phrase, uh, every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth in Genesis 9. What begins as a covenant between God and Noah's family in Genesis 6 is expansive by the time we get to Genesis 9. So how do we examine ourselves while also discerning the body? How how do we attend to our heart, soul, mind, strength, devotion, and live in right relationship to one another? In short, how do we discover wholeness? How do we discover wholeness? I'd like to highlight two practices that come to the forefront during this season of Lent, which is the current season of the church calendar. Uh, Those two practices are fasting and confession. Fasting and confession of sin. The kingdom of God is full of paradoxes, uh, many of which are on display during this season of Lent. Uh, The prophet Joel, who we referred to earlier in chapter 2, verse 12, says, Return to me with your whole heart. This is a passage that we read on Wednesday during our Ash Wednesday prayer service. Return to me with your whole heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. And we encounter here this, this curious kind of paradoxical truth That wholeheartedness requires an emptying of ourselves. Return to me with your whole heart by fasting. Fasting is is the practice of self-denial and emptiness. It's not simply for our own spiritual well-being, although it does involve that, but also for the well-being of others. This connection between fasting and care for others is captured no more clearly than in Isaiah 58. The prophet says, is, this, is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice? A little further down, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong through fasting. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose, water, whose waters never fail. Giving up food going without for the sake of others, feeding the hungry. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never... This sounds a lot like wholeness to me. And it comes through fasting. There's certainly more we could say here. Uh, Jumping to our second practice, the confession of sin. Now, we saw it earlier in some of these uh, brief testimonies, but... Any robust account of how we've discovered wholeness over time involves charting a path through our own brokenness, our own pain and sin to where we are today. As Christians, one of our primary uh, tools of, uh, for self-narration happens through confession. How do we talk about where we've been? Uh, we do it through confession. We tell our story by way of confessing our sin and inadequacy. We confess the disarray of our interior lives, uh, the flippancy of our speech, the inconsistency of our actions, 
And if this all is starting to sound defeatist, let me assure you that it is not. Because all of our self-narration is given shape and direction in the first four words of the prayer of confession that we pray together regularly. Those first four words are, Most merciful God, we. To say it another way, what makes my self-narration intelligible as gospel is that it's addressed to a merciful God. It's all wrapped up, founded in an address to a God who's merciful. Not only that, but we confess our sins together in the presence, sometimes of the very ones whom we've wronged. Most merciful God, we Confession is the means whereby we clearly and truthfully name our sin. And through confession, we receive the gift of assurance of pardon. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. So how do we discover wholeness individually and corporately? Or using Paul's language from 1 Corinthians, how do we both examine ourselves and discern the body? How do we discover wholeness? Paradoxically, we empty ourselves and we truthfully acknowledge our sin. Those are good starting places. Finally, I I, I don't want to leave this topic without mentioning any account of discovering wholeness must leave room for our ultimate hope that one day all will be made right. Wholeness will not come this side of heaven, at least not completely. We discover wholeness not only as a surprise inbreaking of God's reality into our lives, and not only as a process that occurs through time and increases in breadth and scope, but also as a long-awaited yet unrealized hope. John, the author of Revelation, drawing on the words of the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 25, offers this description of the wholeness we all await. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. We seek to participate in God's restorative work, but it is ultimately God who brings full restoration. And it is that for which we wait in hope And all of our efforts at confession and fasting and our faltering attempts at wholehearted discipleship are subordinate to this picture of what God will ultimately do and the wholeness that God will ultimately bring. So take heart. All of our failures must be read in the light of most merciful God, and the one who will ultimately bring wholeness. I think it would be appropriate this morning before we approach the table to uh, 
recite this uh, prayer of confession together. So as we do so, would, would you stand? We'll prepare to approach the table. Uh, as we do each week, we'll make two lines down these center aisles. And as you come forward, you'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. I will recite this prayer together and then hear an assurance of pardon. So would you join me in this prayer? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Would you join us at the table of our Lord this morning?